This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A challenging day for crews on the North Shore responding in force to a brush fire that broke out in the Forest Hills area of North Vancouver. The flames were spotted early this afternoon in a gully just off Skyline Road near the power lines. It was difficult for crews to access an adequate water supply because the fire was so high up, 365 meters from the nearest hydrant. They had to use a number of pumper trucks to get water to the site. The fire spread quickly from the time it was called in by a jogger who smelled smoke in the air. We're in the high danger rating right now. Uh, and it's that bad. Extreme is that much worse. So, um, yeah, time is of the essence. So the first caller, maybe 10 minutes before they got on scene, said a meter square. They got here, it's at least 10 by 10. It, it's that quick. The, the, the ground is tinder dry. At last check, the situation appears to be under control, but crews will remain on scene for a while to ensure any hot spots are taken care of. Well, in the past 24 hours, there have been upwards of 6,800 lightning strikes in B.C., sparking another 40 wildfires. Crews are now battling more than 400 wildfires province-wide, one of them resulting in the evacuation of a music festival. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, progress is being made. Just meters above the heads of people at the beach. Air tractors were skimming Otter Lake. Monday, crews aggressively hitting a fire near Colmont. The fire, while visible, still small, roughly 16 hectares in size, burning about 12 kilometers from Princeton. Definitely concerning. There's not a lot of um, there's a lot of, not a lot between Princeton and the area. So, if the wind changes and goes the wrong direction, it uh, it's got a clear shot to town. The human-caused fire started Sunday night, just a few kilometers away from a local electronic music festival. And with limited road access, the decision was made to evacuate about 200 people from the concert, along with a few rural properties. We went out there with a, uh, uh, the Princeton Posse, uh, the junior hockey team. We took the bus out there, expecting to bring home uh, a busload of people. We only end up having to bring one back. Everybody else found another another ride out of the out of the area so the fire one of 50 sparked in the past 24 hours a majority started by lightning strikes across the province 400 fires are burning in bc right now the most concerning around adams lake where evacuation alerts have been expanded due to the bush creek fire the, the, the fire risk, the risk of ignition uh, is still quite high, so um, the season's not over yet. Elsewhere, crews taking advantage of smoky, overcast skies with slightly cooler temperatures this week to make progress on several fires. Utilizing American hotshot crews, we were able to push 
guard around and the crews used hand ignitions to bring fire to the guard. Cooler temperatures expected over the next couple of days for many parts of the province. And while there is some rain in the forecast, it comes with the chance of lightning. Considering temperatures are expected to climb again by the weekend, new fires are likely. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, police in Port Moody are investigating an overnight townhouse fire that sent three people to hospital and left several others homeless. The flames were intense as they raced through the homes, leaving some residents trapped. Grace Key is live at the scene tonight. Grace, it turns out it was an off-duty firefighter who lives in the neighborhood who actually helped with the rescue. Yeah, it's actually a Surrey firefighter who lives in the area, and he was actually able to go out and direct crews to the spot where those three people were trapped inside the home. Now, at this hour, investigators have left the scene, and at this point in the investigation, they do consider this blaze to be suspicious. By the time Port Moody firefighters arrived, the townhouse complex was fully engulfed in flames. The blaze ripped through four adjoining units. Police went door to door evacuating nearby residents. One neighbor says she was woken up by the sound of screaming. Around like 4.40, um, I heard people screaming and shouting and I only heard people saying to each other, like, get out of the house. The fire was called in at about 4.40 in the morning at the Heritage Mountain Townhouse Complex. Three people had to be rescued, as well as several pets. A Surrey firefighter lives in the neighborhood and was able to quickly direct crews. He ran out, met our crew, um, gave them some information, some really good intel on where there was some people on balconies that needed to be rescued. So he assisted with uh, grabbing a ladder and going with our crew. He showed them the quickest way. The, uh, the crew took the people off the balconies. Initial information suggests the fire may be suspicious in nature. Police say it's believed to be isolated and there is no risk to the public. The fire started inside one of the middle units. Looking at the, the evidence on scene and speaking with different witnesses, we do believe at this point that the fire is suspicious in nature. And as a result, we've uh, deployed our major crime section investigators and they are on scene you know, probing the scene, as well as the Port Moody Fire Rescue Investigator. The owner of one of the corner units tells us the home was up for sale and thankfully it was empty. Oh, my ex-husband was living in there just several days ago, but then he went back to Hong Kong on vacation and then uh, we were thinking to rent it out. So like on Saturday, uh, we moved everything out from the unit. <laughs> Thank God. So as for the three who did have to be rescued, they were taken to hospital. They, uh, it's not believed that they had any life-threatening injuries. And police, of course, are asking if you saw anything or heard anything suspicious to please give them a call. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Grace Key reporting live in Port Moody for us. Well, police are investigating a deadly crash overnight in Delta. The call came in just before 2 this morning about a vehicle that crashed into a parked semi at the Highway 91 truck pullout north of Highway 10. No one was inside the truck and the lone person in the car was pronounced dead at the scene. Delta police say they're in the early stages of their investigation into what factors may have led to the crash. BC Ferries travelers were bracing for anything this BC day long weekend and it turns out it has been mostly smooth sailing. That's a welcome change for the service which has struggled with breakdowns and staffing shortages over the past few months. Kylie Stanton has more on how things unfolded and how the busy holiday travel period isn't quite over yet. Lanes are empty and no sailing waits here. 
only smiling passengers. Is that why they called the news? It's definitely a good surprise. And everybody's happy. It turns out what's typically the busiest weekend of the summer for BC Ferries, with as many as 580,000 passengers expected to be traveling, has been its most successful yet. We know that there are fewer sailing weights. Obviously, people are not experiencing the sailing weights that we've seen previously. It's a welcome change following a rough few months for the ferry system that's been up against staffing challenges, technical issues with its website, and mechanical failures, taking one of the largest ships out of service for long periods of time. To the officers. But last week, BC Ferries executives held a rare press conference assuring the traveling public the system was ready. We plan for every vessel to be in service running at full capacity. We have the coastal celebration in operation, and I think that that's making a huge impact. But the question is whether or not people decided to let go of their reservations, stay closer to home and avoid the chaos, or ditch the car and walk on to ensure they could get where they're going. BC Ferries will analyze the data to see if there was a shift in the traffic patterns once it becomes available. But in the meantime, says it's confident the messaging going into this long weekend got through. We actually saw it on Global News, and that's why we resorted. <laughs> we had a reservation and showed up early because we have little faith. And it's not quite over yet. Maybe it's going to be get a little bit busier towards the end of the day. Traffic is expected to pick up, particularly on the main routes from the island to the mainland. Monday evening, Kylie Stanton, Global News. And according to BC Ferries, vehicle traffic on the three major routes was down on Friday compared to the same day last year. 1,431 fewer vehicles were carried. That's a drop of 8.2%. However, 1,357 more passengers were transported, an increase of 2.6%. Well, driving through Highway 1 in the Fraser Valley can be frustrating at the best of times, but summer driving season and long weekends only add to that frustration. The Highway 1 expansion project in the area couldn't come sooner for residents. Kamal Karamali is live with more on proposed upgrades for the corridor and the public consultation process. Kamal. Sophie, it's days like today that the Highway 1 expansion project is severely needed by drivers who are returning to the city after spending the long weekend in other parts of the province. And uh, now they have a chance to voice their opinion through public consultation. The return home on a long weekend, anything but welcoming. We noticed it seemed to slow down for no reason. For those who drove east and left the lower mainland, heading back west towards the city on this holiday Monday, a slow affair. It's a complete gong show. It should be four lanes each way right to the other side of Chilliwack, like right now. Between Chilliwack and Langley, thousands of vehicles try and funnel their way through three to two lanes. It's tight. It's too tight. It's enough to make some, like the Schellenberg family, avoid leaving town altogether opting to bike through the inside roads instead. All of a sudden, from the three lanes down to the two lanes. It's got people asking once again when the highway will be expanded. You may as well leave early in the morning, late at night, and forget about on going on the freeway at all. 
The Fraser Valley Highway 1 Improvement Program spans four phases. Highway 1 Phase 3A between 264th Street and Mount Lehman Road outside of Abbotsford includes widening to five lanes, including one HOV and electric vehicle lane and dedicated bus on shoulder lanes and truck climbing lanes in each direction, with public consultation happening now and construction set to begin next year. Similar expansions planned for Highway 1 through Abbotsford in Phase 3B, with five lanes west and four lanes east. No planned date for construction yet. Not much known about Phase 4 between Abbotsford and Chilliwack, except for a proposed bike lane along that stretch. But the expansion not good enough for some with two lanes for all traffic, while the others are allocated for HOV, EVs, buses or trucks. Let's be honest, a lot of people are, are single vehicle drivers, right? Or single person drivers. And a fear that by the time that construction is done, more lanes will be needed. I think many of us, uh, many of our viewers watching tonight have been stuck in that traffic at one point right. or another. Kamal, what are municipalities in the region saying about the need for upgrades? Yeah, that's right, Sophie. So we didn't hear back from the city of Chilliwack, but the city of Abbotsford calls the expansion critical, adding that it continues to advocate for expansion to include a dedicated truck lane as many of the goods coming out of the port of Vancouver go through this corridor, making a designated truck lane paramount. So that's primary. Uh, that's their priority number one for now, saying as of now, it's severely congested, negatively impacting trade commerce, safety, and the environment. Back over to you. All right, thanks for that. Kamal Karamali reporting out in the Fraser Valley for us tonight. More questions tonight about a fatal police-involved shooting at an East Vancouver park. I was up with the baby and I heard maybe 15, 20 gunshots. An 18-year-old shot and killed at Clinton over the weekend. What neighbors heard and saw in just over a minute. I thought, what? Order of BC, and I started to cry. The call two outreach nurses never expected, and how it's put them in a pretty special club that's still to come tonight. Plus, tourists turned away why Lake Louise was temporarily off limits this weekend, later tonight. Right now, though, there are more questions than answers as BC's police watchdog continues to probe the fatal weekend shooting of a teen in an East Vancouver park. As Kristen Robinson reports, what began as a shots-fired call ended with the VPD using deadly force on an 18-year-old suspect. At the base of a tree with a visible bullet hole, a floral memorial is growing in Clinton Park where an 18-year-old was fatally shot by Vancouver police. Neighbours have many questions about how and why the teen was killed. Seeing where all of the, the bullet uh, markers were put out by the police, there were a lot of bullets behind that tree. The VPD says officers responded to a 911 call early Saturday, reporting the sound of gunshots near the playground in the East Vancouver Park. When they arrived around 2.15 a.m., they encountered a man with a firearm. What I did hear was initially something I had dismissed as a firecracker. Then about three minutes later, there was just a staccato of 10 shots that came out 
or maybe even more at that point. There was another officer that had made one single shot and then a repetition of shots again. I was up with the baby and I heard maybe 15, 20 gunshots, like a, a bunch in a row and then a couple after that. The VPD says shots were fired and the suspect was shot by police. The Independent Investigations Office, BC's police watchdog, says officers located a young man in the park Guns were fired and he was shot by police. I heard no commands whatsoever. I just heard the partner yell out to his other partner who was, uh, they were on different sides of the gentleman uh, to watch his crossfire. So for the amount of shots fired, that'll, be, that'll form the, the IO investigation who shot when. And how many times? A neighbor who declined to appear on camera says they heard voices screaming, come on buddy, twice around 2.40 a.m. The same time an ambulance left the scene without sirens. Police say the suspect was taken to hospital but subsequently died. No officers were injured and no victims related to the initial 911 call found. The 18-year-old has not been officially identified. The VPD says he had no police history. Kristen Robinson, Global News. RCMP officers are surrounding a Kelowna condo building at this hour. The situation is still unfolding, but Kelowna RCMP confirmed they're dealing with what they call a barricaded person at the Bridgewater Estates building on Gordon Avenue near Cook Road. They're asking the public to stay away from the area and follow the directions of officers at the scene. We will bring you more on this developing story as we confirm details. A new rainbow crosswalk at a Richmond high school has once again been defaced with homophobic slurs. The crosswalk, installed at Palmer Secondary School less than a week ago, has been vandalized at least four times. We have blurred the hateful and offensive messages which were graffitied onto the crosswalk on Sunday night. The latest incident happening as Richmond was wrapping up its Pride Week celebrations. I received a, a text around... 3 p.m. that that this had happened again and it's just devastating I you know you it it just makes you feel like um, there's someone out there that's 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 hating what we're doing and hating people and it's just so difficult to digest so far Richmond RCMP have not identified any suspects up next the era of labor unrest it's time to give us a piece of the pie. What's behind the summer of strikes across North America and how it's not over yet. Plus rising rent, how much more it costs to be a tenant in Metro Vancouver these days. Well, late last week, B.C. port workers voted to accept a new deal ending the weeks-long labour dispute that paralyzed supply chains across the country. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the final contract and why we will likely see more labour unrest across the country in the months ahead. Keith. Yeah, the deal was reached with the inclusion of one new clause over what wasn't there when the deal was first voted down. And that was basically opening the door for more unionized workers along Shoreman's Union to get training to improve their skills so they get more work when it comes to maintenance work at the ports. That was a big sticking issue. It wasn't wages, it was that issue. That's been resolved. So port strike is over. That's done. But don't expect uh, to be no more disruptions in labor. Take a look at the, some of the stats. If you extrapolate what we've seen already this year across the country for the 
the full year, you'll see work stoppages may double to almost 200. That's a 45% increase. Uh, they're also lasting longer than we've ever seen for the last four years. 50, 56 days, that's a 40% increase over what we've seen. And as a result, more stoppages, you see more person work days lost. Again, about a third increase if the trend continues through the rest of the year. Why is this happening? A number of reasons. The cost of living issue is the dominant issue for the first time in decades. It used to be 1% or 2% a year, now it's 6 or 7%, and that means contract offers aren't matching the inflation rate. Younger workers also are more mobile, less beholden to work sites, so the demographic of the labor force is changing. And finally, as a result of the pandemic, working from home is a bigger issue now, and that's a factor of the contract table as well. So again, expect further disruptions through the course of the year uh, throughout North America for a number of reasons. We're not out of this yet. We haven't seen this type of disruption in the workplace. You have to literally go back to the 80s to see what we're seeing now over a host of issues. The dominant one, cost of living. Employers are struggling to match what employees are looking for when it comes to increasing wages to match that huge cost of living increase and the pressure it puts on mm -hmm. workers and their families. All right, thanks for that, Keith. And of course, it's not just in Canada. South of the border, a similar situation. The Hollywood writers and actors strike has started a new wave of strike action, not only in Los Angeles, but across the United States. Thousands of workers are set to walk off the job in California tomorrow, increasing pressure on companies for higher wages nationwide. Joy Benedict reports. Organized labor is heating up Southern California. 11,000 L.A. City workers from those who haul away trash to shuttle drivers at LAX are walking out Tuesday for 24 hours, joining already striking writers, actors, and hotel workers. It's time to give us a piece of the pie. Nationwide, 323,000 workers have gone on strike this year, including last week nurses in New Jersey, firefighters in Minnesota, all pushing for higher wages and better benefits. This is really causing almost a tidal wave of strikes across the U.S. Does this work against companies? It's a game of high-stakes poker. I mean, we see it work in some ways with UPS. The actors so far are not working. I think it depends on the industry. UPS workers are voting now on their new contract, but the U.S. faces another massive strike. 150,000 auto workers. Their contract with Ford, GM, and Stellantis, formerly Chrysler, expires next month. I think the summer could just be an appetizer. The fall could be real nasty. If the thousands of L.A. City workers who will walk off the job Tuesday are doing so for only 24 hours. And although some of them do work at LAX, the airport tells us they are working hard to make sure that no services are interrupted. Joy Benedict, CBS News, Los Angeles. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation is giving British Columbians a roaming reminder of BC's rising debt. The group once again launching its debt clock tour, hauling it around the province on a truck, showing the provincial debt going up in real time. BC's bill currently stands at more than $98.5 billion and counting. The group says British Columbians are fed up and hope the display will put pressure on the provincial government to rein in its spending. We need government to restore proper finances and balanced budgets to British Columbians. Um, David Eby this year turned a $4 billion surplus into a $4 billion deficit. That's the worst magic trick I've ever seen, and we need him desperately to restore some fiscal sanity back to British Columbians. The tour will start on Vancouver Island, then head to the Lower Mainland and end the tour in the uh, BC's interior. 
August has seen yet another increase in Metro Vancouver's monthly average rent. According to live.rent, the monthly rental rate for a one-bedroom unfurnished unit increased for the fifth consecutive month. In August, prices rose $25 to an average of just over $2,400. That's $230 more than last year. Vancouver is, of course, listed as Canada's most expensive city in which to rent, with the average price for a one-bedroom unfurnished unit sitting at over $2,800. Major price increases were also seen in Richmond and Surrey. West Vancouver was the only region with a major price drop. Coming up, disappointment at one of Canada's most iconic tourist destinations. It is crowded. Why visitors were being turned away from Lake Louise this weekend. Plus. Somebody out there saved my life. How two intricate transplants became even more challenging thanks to a rare condition. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. The height of summer tourism is proving too much for one Alberta hotspot. Yesterday, Lake Louise temporarily shut off access to visitors who didn't have proof of reservations. As Global Sarah often reports, it's a disappointment to far-flung travelers eager to experience the iconic stretch of the Canadian Rockies. It's a picture-perfect landscape, glacier-fed waterways, towering peaks, and a once quaint mountain culture. It is crowded, yeah, it to us. As many as... You know, you can still hear the birds sing, and it sings a beautiful song, but the song is still very sad. She also has situs invertus, another rare condition where the body's organs are positioned in reverse of normal anatomy. 
Her PCD worsened, and in April, surgeons at Northwestern Medicine performed a double lung transplant. We have to tailor them to fit into this cavity, chest cavity, which is essentially a mirror image of itself. Situs inversus affects one in every 10,000 people. And despite those odds, 50-year-old Dennis Deere, who has the condition as well, had the same transplant surgery less than a month later. He needed new lungs because inflammation and scarring had him on oxygen and struggling to breathe. Throughout my entire process, I had been wondering what it would feel like to take the first breath. It was exhilarating. Deer and Vega hope their stories encourage people to sign up as organ donors. Somebody out there saved my life, helped me to continue to be a father to my young daughter there. Many people with situs inversus only learn they have it when they receive medical attention for an unrelated issue. Jared Hill, CBS News. Up next, the smoky summer in BC's tourist hotspots. The it smoke started when we got here. How the record-setting wildfire season is affecting vacation plans. And later, what do Ryan Reynolds, Dr. Penny Ballum, and two downtown Eastside outreach nurses have in common? That's still to come tonight. All the latest news. All the latest updates. Get it first. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Get it at 11. Global News at 11. Well, wildfire smoke has been a problem for several regions in BC this summer, and this weekend it rolled into the Okanagan Valley just in time for one of the busiest periods of the tourist season. But as Jaden Wozni reports, it doesn't seem to have deterred visitors. The August long weekend in the Okanagan is known as one of the busiest weekends throughout the entire year for travel and tourism. And while smoke has been blanketing much of the region, general manager at Kraft in downtown Kelowna says Saturday was one of the busiest days the establishment has ever had. You know, from open all the way up until one o'clock, we were pretty, yeah, pretty full in here. And we had, I'd say, probably about 2,000 guests that frequented the business on that day. It was pretty fun. At the nearby Hotel Z, rooms were fully booked well in advance, providing a big boost for the business before heading into the cooler months. Yeah, it definitely just helps our occupancy in the summer to kind of help for the lower seasons like we have since downtown Kelowna is quite seasonal and so are we. Um, and it just allows our staff to also have more hours come summertime so we can be more flexible come winter. As for those visiting from out of town, they say the smoke didn't deter them from vacationing in Kelowna. We had our plans booked already. We had our Airbnb booked, so the smoke wasn't really going to stop our plans. Uh, sometimes on the bike rides in the hills, it was a little bit more than we were hoping for, but it's still been a great time. We're from Edmonton, so it's been smoky there a lot during the summer as well. Um, I grew up in BC, so I'm used to the smoke as well. Yeah, I don't think it it's definitely hasn't hindered anything at all, no. Being from like Edmonton, the smoke down there was quite terrible, so here it's not as bad as... The it smoke started when we got here. Yeah, like the so. first day we got here, we watched it, it was all hazy. Yeah, we were like, so. no, but it didn't ruin the trip at all. Not at all. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Each year, Kelowna welcomes around 2 million tourists, making it one of the city's top economic drivers. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna. Still a beautiful place, even if there's smoke. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, Yvonne in tonight to take a look at our weather forecast. Boy, was it ever 
hot and muggy this weekend. Yeah, it was sunny all the way through for most areas. The heat was on. We've got a bit of a reprieve and we're actually tracking rain on the way. It'll be much needed and that's going to move along the south coast. I'll have the timeline coming up in just a moment. What we're sitting at right now is 23 degrees. We've got some breaks out there. A light southerly wind at 13 kilometers per hour. A few other spots though in the interior today did warm up with Lytton, Kamloops and Kelowna getting up to 31 and Merritt today topping out at 30 degrees. We do have some active weather at this hour and that extends in towards Fort Nelson. A severe thunderstorm warning is in effect. All areas just below into Fort St. John. We've got a severe thunderstorm watch. We're just continuing to watch this line of thunderstorms could produce hail, intense winds, as well as downpours through that region. We're watching the lightning and areas in towards the boundary and the Kootenai is where we're seeing the risk of thunderstorms through that area with the severe thunderstorm watch. That should start to dissipate though as we get in through the next few hours. A reminder, smoky skies bulletin still included uh, for the central interior extending in towards the Okanagan Valley and the southeastern corners of the province. So those with respiratory issues will still want to try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors and will likely still see the smoky skies bulletin in effect over the next 24 and potentially up to 48 hours. Fire danger rating still sitting anywhere between high. A few spots in the interior sitting extreme. So please be very diligent with your cigarette butts as you enjoy the outdoors. Now here's the weather maker that is moving in. We'll be watching it very closely. As early as the afternoon, a few spots across the island will start to track some rain. But for us along the south coast of Metro Vancouver. It's overnight and then taking us in towards our Wednesday. That's we'll see the bulk of the moisture. Rainfall though along the north coast, a touch cooler, 16 as the high. Areas in towards the interior still into the upper 20s and the southeastern corners of the world will see that risk of thunderstorms. The island will see the rain moving in for the afternoon. The lower mainland, it's really late overnight. A soggy one will be for Wednesday. That's we'll see periods of rain. It rebounds quite quickly by Thursday. We're back into a mix of sun and cloud. All right, tonight's weather window is a great shot that was captured by Bonnie and White Rock with the view and the train as well. So can't wait for that rain. <laughs> it's rare that I'm excited about it, but I actually am. <laughs> Thanks, Yvonne. All right, uh, Double J is in tonight for Squire. Hello. So, Sophie, it was raining in Port Moody already this morning. Yes, it was. Yeah, we had some rain in Port Moody this morning. A few spots. Okay? A few spots. Are you okay? Did, We're very, so did, it, did the, it hit you? No, the garden's good, though. Oh, yeah. Good. Yes. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so then I, you could refresh my cherry tomatoes. We could do that for you. We could. <laughs> uh, the Men's and Women's National Bank Tennis Opens are underway. The men are in Toronto. Women are in Montreal. Wet weather has affected the opening round there. We'll show you how Milos Ronic is faring in his match. We haven't seen a lot of Ronic the last few years as he's battled injury after injury so All right. Thank you, Jay. We'll uh, catch up with you in a couple of minutes. Even ahead. just one little bit. It's worth everything. From the downtown east side to the Order of BC, how a career of compassion has led two outreach nurses to the province's highest honor. Your face? Uh, uh huh. Not mine. Milos Ronich. I'm back on the tennis floor. Well, we yeah. Can see, see, yeah. 
We'll, well yours is right a now. familiar face. Yeah. Also welcome. It's like we are on the weekend again, you and I. It is a little on bit. On a Monday. Uh, thanks, Sophie. Yeah, it is a throwback. Yes, it has been a long time since we've seen Milos Ronic at his best. Injury after injury put him on the sidelines for a solid 14 months. He didn't touch a racket, didn't step foot on a tennis court. He just worked on getting 100% healthy. Tonight, he's on center court at the National Bank Open in his first appearance playing the Canadian Open since 2019. The 32-year-old uh, is currently ranked 400 or 546th in the world. Then Good to see him here. How about this? The Davis Cup Pro winning team from 2022 getting their championship Davis rings today. Don't get to see that too often. Sporting the bling. Oh, that's, a that's a nice chunk. Yeah, that is a nice ring. Milos Ranch was facing ninth seed Francis Tiafo. He was down 3-1, but look at him battle back. Scorching backhand winner. So the first set would be decided in a tie break. It stretched 20 minutes and 26 points. Bit of controversy here. Watch TFO. Charges hard, hits the winner, but he also hits the net. That should be a loss of point, except bit of a weird rule where he touches the net, only applies for double. See that little white post there to his left? That's for singles play, but he was on the opposite side of it, so he won the point. Took the tiebreaker 7-6. Deep into the second set, Milos needed a medical timeout. We don't want to see this happen to him. He was complaining of pain along his lower back, the tailbone. Trainer came out, worked on it for almost five minutes. But it's okay, because Milos would bounce back nicely, guts it out in the tie break in the second set. This match has gone over two hours long. They're in the third set right now, and I can tell you that Milos is leading 3-1. 4-1, pardon me, in the uh, third and deciding set. Inter-Miami and Major League Soccer's investment in bringing Lionel Messi to North America. I tell you, it's delivering big dividends. Messi and his MLS teammates in Dallas last night where the stadium was sold out for the League's Cup match featuring FC Dallas and Inter-Miami. It was his first game outside of Florida and Messi put on a show that literally stunned Dallas right out of the League's Cup. Another magical night on the pitch. Leaving it for Jordi Alba. Yep, like clockwork and like Lionel Messi helped the Inter Miami to an unexpected win over FC Dallas to make it to the quarterfinals of the League's Cup. He scored two more beauties. That's all he's done since joining the MLS. They trailed 3 1 at one point. He scored in four games that he's played, third straight match with a brace, seven goals and counting for Lionel Messi. Yes, Messi mania is unfolding here in North America, and it's great to see. Women's World Cup, round of 16 continuing, England meeting Nigeria. England, fourth-ranked team in the world, but they were played tough today by Nigeria. Lionesses didn't have a shot on target until the 75th minute, and then they lose their leading scorer, Lauren James, just before stoppage time. Originally, she was handed a yellow, but then, yes, video review, you can't be stepping on an opponent's back. Automatic red card. So England was down to 10 players, but the Lionesses survived the scare. Chloe Kelly, decisive spot on the penalty kick. England win 4-2 on penalties. They're going to play either Columbia or Jamaica next. Co-host Australia getting a massive boost today. Sam Kerr stepped onto the pitch for the first time this World Cup. Came on as a second-half sub. She's been dealing with a calf injury. 75,000 loved it. Denmark had the better chances early in the match, but Australia scored goals on either side of halftime. Caitlin Ford running onto the well-placed ball. 
She goes through the wickets. Matilda's getting a second goal. Just in total control in the final third. Look at the poise in the box. Haley Rasso's going to finish it off. And Australia off to the final eight at the World Cup for the fourth straight tournament. Although they've never ma have managed to advance after that, they're going to play either France or Morocco next. And you just wait for the noise if Bryson can do it. Two putts for 59. It comes down to this. Off it goes. It's close. Bryson DeChambeau becoming just the fourth ever top tour golfer to shoot 58. He birdied his last four holes at the Live Golf Greenbrier to reach the magical low score of 58. He birdied six of his first seven holes. 58 for Bryson DeChambeau. And now he just needs to work on his vertical leap. Not quite there, but the 58 is pretty darn good. And good luck to all the golfers who are going to be competing at the PGA of Canada Senior Championship out at Ledgeview this week. Golf course is going to be in great shape, so good luck to all the golfers coming in from all across Canada. I'd be happy with 58 at the pitch and putt. And I think you could do it. <laughs> and you'd have fun doing it. Yeah, okay. We're a miniature <laughs> golf event. Up next, it was a phone call they didn't quite believe. How two nurses got the news they'll be receiving BC's highest honour. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, Vancouver firefighters were called to a boarded-up house this afternoon for a fire. It was boarded up from a previous fire. Today's fire near East 27th Avenue and Nanaimo Street caused much more extensive damage. The flames actually chewed through the roof. The house was supposedly abandoned, but a neighbor says he saw two people running from the burning home and jump a fence to escape the property. We will hear from that neighbor tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie. All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Well, the Order of BC recipients were revealed today. The most recognizable names among them, Ryan Reynolds and Vancouver Coastal Health Board Chair Dr. Penny Ballum. But there are two other lesser known, but certainly no less deserving names on that list. Two nurses who have been helping some of Vancouver's most vulnerable on the downtown east side from the time of the HIV AIDS epidemic to the deadly opioid crisis of today. Krista Dow reports. Paul, it's Susan and Ivana. Can we change your bandage? Nurses Susan Giles and Ivana Brenna have been answering the call in Vancouver's downtown east side for more than 40 years. It's such a revolving door. Providing life-saving care to the city's most vulnerable. The two friends now in their 70s approached things differently back then, treating patients on their own terms and in their own spaces. Our job as home care nurses anywhere is to go into someone's home, but their home might be a corner of the sidewalk or it might be a shelter bed or it might be an SRO oh, hotel room. Well. They called it a clinic in a corner. Throughout the years, navigated a changing toxic landscape, learning as they went. Whether it was caring for those addicted to opioids or treating patients with HIV or AIDS in the 90s. So we had to educate ourselves with every opportunity that we could. Uh, there were HIV rounds at the hospital. We attended those once a week. We went to every conference we could go to. They cherished small victories like bandaging a wound or simply having FaceTime. Being allowed back yeah. tomorrow yeah. was a big, yeah. 
big step in and we were so grateful for that. And the province in turn grateful for their unwavering dedication, awarding them with province's highest honour, the Order of BC. I thought, what? Order of BC? And I started to cry because, no, she was real, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's real. It's real. You'll be getting an email. And then it was, it, it was, it was real. real. The award as real as the countless lives they impacted and saved. But just day by day, doing what you know needs to be done, you know, um, it's worth Saving it. lives. It's about saving lives on their terms. And doing it with grace and compassion. Krista Dow, Global News. Oh, very, very well deserved. Mm -hmm. Those two listening to that interview, um, the full raw tape of the interview, was, I love them, love them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They'll be um, receiving the Order of BC in the fall officially. All right, uh, Yvonne, final word on the weather to you. A bit of a change on the way. We are going to see some cloud cover for tomorrow, but the bulk of the rain is going to move in, but it'll be overnight, taking us in towards our Wednesday. That'll be the soggy day so far, and then drying out by Wednesday night rebounds quite quickly back into our Thursday, but that rainfall on Wednesday so far. All right, thank you very much, and thank you for joining us tonight. Have a good night, all.